On today's episode, we are going to be talking about GP finances, a bit about how GPs get paid, how much GPs get paid, and the specific challenges that GPs are facing from a financial point of view as we are in the midst of this COVID pandemic. Now, on Medics Money, we cover all doctors, uh, all grades, uh, from very simple things right up to complicated things. And although this episode is focused more towards GPs, it's absolutely essential that all doctors in the NHS understand just how GP practices work. Because without GP practices, who see 90% of contacts in the NHS, the NHS would be in a lot of trouble. So we talk a bit about how GPs get paid, what would happen if a GP practice went into debt, and why this is not the same as if your local hospital, who most of trusts are in a lot of debt, uh, why it's not the same if GPs go into debt. We also talk a bit about how uh, much GPs get paid to provide a year of care for their patients, and actually we're going to hear that it's probably more expensive to have a Netflix subscription than it is to have a year of care from your GP, which is unlimited. We also talk about the specific challenges that general practices have faced during the COVID pandemic and how we think the government could help practices to overcome these things. So like I said, this is more focused towards GPs, but really it's essential for anyone who works in the NHS, consultants, um, other doctors, to understand how GP practices work because we all work together for the same aim to do the very best for our patients and it's really interesting to know how GPs are paid and why that is very, very relevant for the NHS. Let's get straight into today's episode. Welcome to the Medics Money Podcast. My name is Dr Tommy Perkins and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. So on today's podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Andy Power, who's a specialist medical accountant who recently joined the Medics Money Network. Morning, Andy. Uh, morning, Tommy. Great to have you here. Um, before we start uh, the podcast proper, episode proper, do you want to just tell us a bit about uh, your background and why you're uh, qualified to talk about today's subject? Yeah, so I'm a partner in uh, Mazars, who are a national accountancy firm, uh, but I'm a partner in the healthcare division. We're, we're a specialist division who look after medics across the whole of the UK. Um, and, you know, we've got a strong specialist in GP practices, acting for about 350 GP practices and probably 2,600 medics across, across the country. I'm also on the board of something called the Association of Independent Specialist Medical Accountants, who are a network of accountants dealing with uh, uh, GPs across the country. Um, so we cover about half of the, the country's GPs in one way or the other. Um, I'm also married to a GP. Uh, as well. So I do understand uh, the pressures that general practice is facing at the moment and generally, uh, but particularly at the moment through through the COVID pandemics. Yeah, and it's not something that I've seen talked about. So, But uh, yeah, you're essentially surrounded by GPs at work and surrounded by GPs at home, which is obviously very lucky for you. So um, we are going to talk about a bit about the financial implications of COVID on GP uh, finances. So if you're a non-GP listening to this, why should you really care about your local GP practices finances? The majority of people don't realize that, that GP practices are actually um, self-employed businesses. 
Um, so they actually contract their services to the NHS. So you walk into a GP practice, you see the, the lovely NHS signs and you just assume it's like a hospital trust. Um, lots of money and they, they employ people, but they don't. GP practices are their own businesses. So the owners of those businesses, the GP partners, or in some cases, non-GP partners, the partners um, are what they get paid um, to do their job is based on the profits that they earn from the business. And profits sometimes seems, you know, in, in the NHS world, a dirty word, but it's not. It's just the difference between the income the practice has and the expenses the practice pay out. Um, so if we have a situation where income is reducing and expenses are going up, then the profits of that business are going down, which means ultimately the partner's income that they take home uh, is going to go down. Yeah. And um, if the hospital makes a loss, it seems to me as a GP partner that the hospital just racks up a massive debt and everyone sits back and looks at the debt. Now, if my GP practice racks up a massive debt, uh, what could happen to me then? So you're right. I mean, the, the, the hospital size comparison is really quite a good one because right at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, we had the government coming out with an announcement saying it was writing off all hospital debt. Um, so whether they did or not, it's probably another matter, but we won't go into that now. But but essentially, it, you know, if a hospital racks up with that debt and it gets written off, it doesn't affect what you earn as it being an employee of that trust, be it the, the chief executive, be it a hospital consultant, be it a, a registrar, being it the, the hospital porter, you still get paid your pay as, as it's set out in your employment contract. Um, but if it happens at a GP level, uh, they haven't got that write-off option. If they go into debt, it's personal debt of theirs. Um, so they have a bank overdraft. It's a personal bank overdraft. Um, and if you have a destabilization of finances within general practice, which sees over 90% of uh, patients within the NHS, um, that has a massive ripple effect through the rest of the NHS. Yeah. So that's a point I think is perhaps not that well understood by non-GPs, you know, who are probably in the dark about how our finances work. Okay. So um, let's talk a bit about, um, you know, the COVID pandemic and the effect that that has had uh, on the 350 GP practices that you manage. What's the big themes that are coming out of this and the issues that uh, everybody really in the NHS needs to worry about, but especially uh, GPs uh, running their own practice? Yes, yeah, so I think we can we can stick this into the two waves, and hopefully it is going to be two waves, and we won't get into wave three later, but we'll never know. I like in your wa- optimism. In, in wave one, um, in wave one, uh, obviously, we, country went to massive lockdown really quickly. Um, everyone stayed at home. Uh, the The government were very supportive of 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 the NHS at that point in time. Um, so within general practice, what we had the situation is the, the NHS commissioners did put in guarantees over NHS income so that that didn't reduce um, and protected income effectively, although not all sources of income, as I'll talk about in wave two. Um, and also from a staff perspective, if, if you know, the one that did the, by far the biggest cost of any GP practice is their staff. So we had people shielding, um, we had people, well, not so many people going to self-isolate, it was more shielding at that point in time. But there were also um, protections put in place that if practices incurred uh, more staff costs due to overtime covering people, um, then those costs were covered. So we had a sort of double protection on income and expenses. And we also had the situation where I think realistically everyone accepts that in the early wave one that actually demand on uh, GP practice face-to-face time went down. Uh, for whatever reason, 
Um, and some practices didn't need to employ as many locums. So if you were a practice that uh, relied on using locums, then your locum expenditure probably went down to compensate some of the income losses. I think that's a completely different scenario in wave two, though. Yeah, I mean, um, there are a few other things as well. So appraisal was suspended, which uh, definitely took, because my appraisal was June in, in May, right? So, um, yeah, that was good. And I think, was Quaff protected in some way in the first wave? Yeah, so, so Quaff was Quaff income was protected. So the 2019-20 the Quaff year, which ended in March because COVID really kicked off February, March time, um, that was protected as well. So if practice didn't uh, achieve all their quality and outcome framework income, targets um, they were guaranteed to be paid what they received in the previous year um, so and you're right appraisals disappeared um, CQC aspects uh, were yeah. reduced which yeah. is not a cost on practices but it's a significant time cost if you're picked out for a CQC visit um, so a lot of the administration items that, that go alongside general practice which is significant were uh, reduced at that point in time yeah. And um, as you said, you know, the face to face consultations went down. Uh, but the myth that GP was closed, I, I know you live with a GP. So you know that that myth is absolutely ridiculous that we were closed. But from a personal point of view, you know, in February, we didn't we'd never done an online consultation. We would never done a video consultation. We never really texted our patients and we didn't operate a triage first model. Okay. So then the pandemic came and within the space of between four and six weeks, we implemented all those massive changes, you know, in introducing new software, new workflows and everything like that. So we may not have been seeing as many patients as we were pre pandemic. Uh, and that's definitely reversed now, by the way, but, but we were, you know, changing the way we work radically in a very, very short space of time. Uh, and if you look in episode three as well, we were so short of PPE locally that uh, we accidentally ended up making 10,000 um, PPE visors with the Rolls Royce. So let's not talk about that today. Check out episode, I think it's episode three, if you're interested in that. So that was wave one. Okay. So tell me why you're a bit worried or very worried about wave two from a GP's point of view? So what, what we're seeing, um, and what you have to remember is, as a, to go back to the original point, is GP finances are ultimately based on the income you earn versus the expenses that you uh, pay out um, as, as a partner. And uh, what we are seeing is the cumulative impact of a number of income lines reducing uh, across the GP practice. So the GP practice doesn't just get its money as one lump sum from the NHS. There's a multitude of different income sources to get both in the NHS and outside the NHS, which gives that practice a resource to go and employ people. So we're seeing a number of different income lines reduce, and, but we're also seeing expenses increase in areas. And just, just sort of running through the income issues, within the NHS, we've got things like uh, minor surgery is a good example in that minor surgery income was protected up until I think the end of July in the NHS. And after that point in time, it was expected that activity levels, levels would return to pre-pandemic uh, levels and practice would start minor surgery activity again. And, um, you know, the income would start flowing back. Um, and there's a bit of a geographical lottery on this in that some some areas have carried on supporting minor surgery income that others haven't but in areas that haven't minor surgery activity hasn't recommenced at the same levels I'm, I'm sure you may be doing a bit Tommy in your practice but nowhere near what you were doing before yeah partly because of the logistics around 
you know, cleaning and uh, PPE, but also patients aren't so keen at the moment, I suspect, to come in and have some minor surgery. Um, so activity's not gone up, which means the income will reduce in that activity. Um, we have um, dispensing practices get uh, a lot of their income from dispensing, which helps, you know, rural practices who are dispensing practices, which the majority are, it's a really important source of income to that practice. And the issue there is with reduced footfall going through the surgery, um, so fewer face-to-face -face patients actually turning up to surgery because of all the online and telephone appointments that you are doing. If you have fewer people coming through the surgery, there's fewer people that are probably going to access the dispensary, uh, which means the dispensing income will go down. So that's just two examples within the NHS, but there's examples outside the NHS. So, so GP finances are also based on other income it uh, receives. So in England, uh, cremation fee income uh, stopped pretty much overnight uh, because you didn't have to do your part two cremations. Uh, report income is down. Um, so GPs get paid for sort of multitude of private reports and you know holiday vaccinations as well is a good example. People aren't going on holiday, so they don't need vaccinations doing. So that income's down. Research income, which is quite an important area of income for some practices. Um, research pretty much came to a halt as everything you know, in the research world has gone on to COVID activities. So that income reduced. Things like university student teaching. Um, the university's closed in March. Okay, they've come back, they've reopened, maybe we'll close again soon, but, but medical students stopped coming to GP practices. So the teaching income that went alongside that came to an end. So what we're seeing is a number of different lines of the, the, the income are being hit. And it, whilst you look at that line individually, you probably think, well, it's not huge, um, you know, and you should be able to cope with that. But actually when you start adding up um, the, the lines of income, it can suddenly become a, a quite an important issue. Um, you know, I've got one practice that has a, a separate part of its building, which isn't funded by the NHS, which gets rental from various uh, clinics that come in, and those clinics stopped overnight. So they're looking at, you know, it could be looking at 30, 40,000 pound loss year on year in terms of income. And that went towards funding the services they provide. And on the expenses side, I think in wave two, it's different. Um, we are seeing, um, you know, Cleaning costs and cleaning time has increased quite significantly for practices. The costs have gone up. You pointed out that you've changed how you do things. Uh, so I suspect the number of telephone appointments you're doing in your surgery at the moment, Tommy, are, are vastly increased on what you were doing uh, this time last year. And that has a cost because you need telephone lines, you need more telephone lines, you need more um, call charges. Um, you perhaps need more mobiles in surgery to run things. Um, so it's quite a significant uh, cost increase. And then staff, um, there is a, a, you know, a real issue. I mean, I work in the northwest of England and it's particularly been hit hard by COVID. Um, so, um, you know, we've got lots of practice who are short staff at the moment. There are people having to go back to shielding. Uh, again, but we had staff having to self-isolate either because they've had a positive COVID test or have a, you know, a situation where they could have a positive COVID test or their child from school has been sent home um, that needs childcare um, and having to self-isolate. Lots of different scenarios now happening. So we're seeing a number of staff shortages across general practice, which puts up the pressure on the remaining staff that are in, in the practice, uh, puts up overtime costs, 
puts up locum costs. So, you know, costs going up as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, almost everything you've said there as a GP partner, I can relate to. And I think it's worth stressing at the point that we made at the start that if, if, if our practice goes into debt, that is my personal liability. I don't just get to write it off like the hospital uh, did at the start. And I think the other point that we that you're sort of making there is that you've got all these little little bits of income being nibbled away. You know, minor surgery, the research, the the, the teaching of medical students, all all small little bits being nibbled away. So we've painted uh, a not exactly rosy picture for GPs there, Andy, and I'm sure it's something that all GPs can relate to. And this is very relevant for the whole NHS, because if GPs are struggling, we do over 90% of contacts within the NHS. And so the knock-on effect of the NHS is going to be very, very significant. But give me some either good news or action points that I can do right now to try and protect my practice from these issues, some of which are completely out of our control. And then let's move on to talk about what you think those, the powers that be could do to protect general practice. Yeah, so I think, I mean, it's difficult to find good news at the moment. Um, but I think that the, the, probably the most important thing is to remember this is just a temporary situation. Um, and I, I, I probably you know if you can pay general practice with other businesses in the uk at least um you are still uh, got lots of work so you've probably got more work than you can cope with but at least you've got an income stream coming in and your staff are protected and are still employed so i think it's positive from that viewpoint that you know it's it's not the disastrous scenarios that perhaps some industries are facing and and the positive thing is, you know, these income streams will come come back. You know, once we get through this, and hopefully short term issue of the pandemic, then you know things like minor surgery, you'll start doing it again. Medical students, they have started returning, so you know those those income streams will bounce back fairly quickly. It's not as if you're going to have to go and chase new lines of income uh, to replace them. So so it will bounce back. So it's a temporary situation. So what do practices need to do? I think practices need to be careful with their cash flow. They perhaps need to take a more active role in working with their managers and looking at their cash flow uh, and checking they're not getting into problems uh, because they might have to take, you know, perhaps more drastic you know, scenarios of, of reducing drawings temporarily or perhaps using reserves they've set aside for another project uh, temporarily. Um, so short term cash flow management is key, really. And keeping on top of that and working with your accountants, you know, uh, is, is quite important. Um, generally, across the board, you know, I think the NHS and the government have to acknowledge the fact that it's an issue, because if general practice struggles, the NHS struggles. Um, you know, it's it's clear that you know, certainly again in the northwest, some of the hospitals are having to um, stop procedures again. Uh, and that's going to revert back to general practice to look after that workload. Um, so it's going to have to be supported um, and it's going to have to be supported by a combination of things. I think they need to put the income guarantees back in place um, so to protect income that you had last year, which you just can't do this time around. But it's an important income like the minor surgery. I think they have to. Um, uh, put an investment in to cover some of the cost side of things. And I think the technology side of things, which you touched on, is going to be massive over the next few months, but massive going ahead. And it's such a, it's a, it's one of the real positives of COVID, how you as a, a an occupation have just completely changed 
um, how you do your business. Um, but it needs supporting. Um, and one of the reasons why it did change is a lot of the barriers to change were taken out by commissioners. You know, you could, you could suddenly use software that previously you had to go through huge hoops in terms of apply for and get funding for. Let's get that investment out permanently into general practice and make sure that all the positives are now embedded in general practice. But I think the third aspect also is around ensuring um, that some of the tasks that you do, which, you know, if you look from outside the NHS and look at what GPs have to do to tick cough boxes, to do appraisals, to CQC, and all these things are important, but how they're done are just incredibly time consuming. Um, I think you've got to be realistic in that, you know, we're in a situation in the world where things have changed dramatically in the short term. And a business like ours has changed fundamentally. Um, and we've had to accept accounting. Yeah, we, we, you know, you know, we're in one of those businesses where, you know, we've, you know, we've been encouraged to work from home and we, we you know, we can't, you know, we, we're not deemed as being urgent to be in, 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 in the office. So we've moved to working outside the office and moved to work in different ways. But that's for doing that, we've had to accept there's some things we can't do as we did before. And the NHS always seems to doesn't it always seems to struggle with that, um, and it always seems to struggle with actually no we need to take down some of these barriers, um, even if they're temporary and we think they're important put them back off afterwards, um, like your cough top you know box ticking. Um, uh, it just seems to struggle with accepting that it's causing problems. So I think it just needs to just get on, let general practice now deal with what's ahead, and that the, the COVID vaccination campaign. You know, it's going to be a, you know, a massive challenge for the whole country. It's not just general practice. Oh, we're going to have it done by Christmas. No well, worries. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. No problem. Hopefully, I'm being I'm being <laughs> facetious. Obviously, um, a massive challenge, but uh, one that general practice will definitely rise to. Definitely. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. I mean, that was super useful to go through all of that, and uh, I'm sure all the GPs listening will definitely resonate with some of those points. Um, now. We are trying to go through a podcast episode without talking about the pension. And I think today we have succeeded because we haven't mentioned the pension. And normally I end uh, the podcast talking, saying, would you, as a someone with a private pension, swap your private pension for the NHS pension? Uh, I'm not going to uh, ask you that question because it's too easy. Instead, I'm going to ask you one. You know, you uh, Ed was an accountant and switched to being a GP. You live with a GP and work with GPs. So would you choose to still be an accountant or would you be a GP? And if so, why? Um, so luckily, I'm in a household that does have access to the NHS pension through through my spouse. So um, at least I've got that. I don't need to answer that point. So I've got both sides of the equation sorted out for our household. Uh, <laughs> too easy yeah so uh, yeah yeah would i become a gp well personally no because i absolutely fear the sight of blood uh, and syringes um so i couldn't do anything like that but i absolutely admire what you do uh, as a profession um would i recommend anyone to become a gp um absolutely i think it's a brilliant job um and um it, you know, I, I see my wife when my wife comes home, she's had a bad day. Um, it's a bad day because actually something's happened that actually she feels really strongly about to, for a patient. Um, 
if I have a bad day, it means perhaps I've added some numbers up the wrong way. I think it's a completely different, uh, you know, pressure you guys are under. Um, but also equally, when she comes home where something's gone really right, um, it's, you know, the, the satisfaction she gets from that is huge. Um, and the satisfaction she gets from looking after her patients day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, and seeing the family connections, um, it's, it's one of the most enjoyable aspects she always comments on. So I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a brilliant form of medicine um, and really important that people go into it and, and they will get the benefits that come out of it. Definitely. I think that's a really positive note to end on. Um, you know, both me and Ed still work as GPs and we still love it. And uh, I think what you said there is so true that the things that grind me down about being a GP is never about the patient side of things or seeing patients is everything else that goes with it. You know, that we've some of which we've talked about today, but at the end of the day, uh, doing what we train to do, uh, helping our patients and seeing our patients is still incredibly uh, rewarding. So yeah, good answer to that question there, Andy. Um, thanks so much for your time today. If uh, people have listened to this and they uh, like the sound of what they're hearing, um, how's the best way to uh, get in touch with you? Yeah, so the best way is probably either by email, which is uh, my email is andrew.pow, that's P-O-W, at mazars.co.uk. Or alternatively, you can find Mazars on the Medics Money uh, website. We're one of the accountants listed there. Um, so you can contact us through through the website. Awesome. Okay. Thanks so much for your time. And uh, this is a very dynamic, evolving situation. We recorded this on the 11th of November. Uh, so take that into account when you're listening to it. Thanks so much for your time, Andy. And uh, stay safe up there. And um, thanks for your time. Thanks very much.